right. Welcome, everyone, to Integral Yoga Podcast. Uh, today, I'm joined by Reverend Kamala Hayward. Um, first, uh, before I introduce uh, Reverend Kamala, I just want to say uh, a few words about Integral Yoga. Uh, in case you're new to Integral Yoga, Integral Yoga, uh, very briefly, is, is seeing uh, yoga as being something larger than, than simply a physical practice. Uh, hatha yoga practice. It's really uh, a system which integrates uh, all aspects of our lives into uh, a framework of yoga. Okay, so it's, it's really everything I'm doing is yoga, whether I'm washing the dishes or speaking to a friend. Um, it's, it's viewing life through that lens. Um, so just wanted to give that, that overview and my perspective a little bit on what integral yoga uh, means to me. And uh, yeah, now I'd like to introduce our guest today, Reverend Kamala. So happy, excited to have you here. Uh, a little bit about you. Uh, Reverend Kamala is an integral yoga teacher, yoga therapist, an integral yoga minister, currently sits on the board of Integral Yoga Institute at San Francisco. Uh, she's a former lawyer, uh, very active in social justice uh, movements. Um, and, and yeah, anything else uh, that you'd like to share about yourself, Kamala? Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And, and, and I'm so happy to be here as well. Um, yeah, all that is, uh, is, is what a big part of what I do. I've also been coaching individuals to begin, like you talked about, integral yoga being woven into every aspect of life to help other people do that in their own lives. Um, maybe directly by speaking about yoga and, and other times indirectly, but really about cultivating that yoga experience in every moment of life so that you can really begin showing up more fully for life and for everything that you do. So that's a, also a big piece of what I've been doing, that kind of coaching and, and leadership. Hmm. How long have you been doing that individual coaching? I've been doing that for about 10 years now. Yeah, and I'm really, really enjoying it. It's been very, very powerful and exciting to bring these ideas of yoga to people who maybe wouldn't traditionally think of themselves as yogis. So it's, I've been having a lot of, a lot of fun and uh, satisfaction with that. Have you found it to be effective for them as they incorporate yoga into their lives, especially for people that uh, maybe would not have considered themselves to be a yogi before? Absolutely, absolutely. Because the teachings of yoga truly are about finding that peace that's within each of us, that peace that's our birthright. Um, you know, you hear people talk about that peace, which, which surpasses all understanding. It's that level of peace. And people, when, they, when they're able to touch into that, people are deeply moved and it can be, have a really powerful impact on people. Because yoga doesn't have to look like, you know, sweating on a mat, as, as you know from integral yoga. And I think that that's a, a common misperception about yoga. So when they see that they can take these teachings and, and apply them to how they breathe, how they sit, how they interact and relate with others, it, it's very, very powerful, whether you name it yoga or not. Right. I want to ask you about uh, your experience as a lawyer, which I think you, maybe you were a lawyer for around 13 years or so. I'm not sure if you're, you're still practicing, um, but you've mentioned that uh, you experienced 
a kind of a spiritual awakening of sorts or some, some sort of kind of deep spiritual experience that happened to you that maybe redirected your life in, in a different direction. Uh, can you share a little bit more of, of what happened there? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I, I had been practicing law for about 13 years. Uh, I was primarily in, uh, you know, public interest uh, policymaking settings. So I loved what I was doing. I deeply believed in what I was doing. Um, and that was what made law a really rewarding career for me personally. Um, and at around the 13-year mark, um, I hit some really uh, challenging personal milestones um, you know, I, I lost a family member, I lost a significant relationship, things really just started shaking up underneath me. And I was a little bit confused. I, I mean, I don't know that I, I saw it as confusion at the time. But looking back now, I think I was confused because I felt like I was doing everything right. I did all the right things. I had the good life. I had the good job. I had the good career. And I couldn't understand why was I... Um, experienced so much, so much pain, so much pain and unhappiness. And, um, and I, I just, I needed to explore what was going on there because I realized what I thought was the path to happiness wasn't. Um, and it really turned into a, a, a large spiritual awakening that I wasn't expecting. I didn't think that that's what would happen, but that is what happened. And it really, really changed the course of my, um, my, my life. I was going to say my career, but really of my life. Yeah. Mm. I I find the subject very interesting and it feels important to me because I think many of us uh experience uh something that's somewhat similar, right? That that maybe when we're, we're children that we develop a dream or we're, we're told, you know, if you follow this certain path, you know, it's going to uh it's going to fulfill you. It's going to make you happy, you know, study hard in school, get the degree, get a good job, like you mentioned, and, and then you're going to attain uh, this uh, great sense of, uh, you know, joy. And, and so many people do all of those things um, and then still find that there's a sort of emptiness or, or a lacking that's quite confusing, I think. What do you, what do you make of that? Yeah, you know, it, it is, it's confusing and, and, and dis, it can be very disorienting, right? Because you really had this idea that this is the direction I'm going and this is going to be the way to fulfillment or to happiness or to joy. And, you know, I think what a lot of that is based on is this idea that what makes us happy is outside of us, right? What makes us happy is getting, is getting the achievements, getting the accomplishments, getting the kudos. I got all of that, <laughs> right? And I thought that would make me happy. And I think there's even a deeper confusion because it, it feels like it's making you happy at times, right? It feels really good to get that pat on the back and the thumbs up and the way to go. But after a while, you start realizing like this isn't enough and this isn't satisfying this alone isn't satisfying to me you know and i think money is a big part of that too right like if i make enough money then i'll be happy right and it's this looking outside of ourselves for for that satisfaction and that joy and eventually i believe we all reach a point where we realize it's not enough right and either through 
tremendous success or tremendous loss. I think on both, you know, there, from either extreme all the way through the entire range of that, I think you hit a point where you say, this, this isn't enough that I'm not happy from this. And, um, and, and, and so I think that, that, that that's where the teachings of yoga can be really useful because yoga points us back to ourselves for that happiness, for that joy. Um, but that's, that's why I think we all hit that because we're all kind of looking outside of ourselves. Hmm. And does this maybe have something to do uh, with even the, the title that we chose, you know, creating a just world? Does this internal individual personal experience have to do with, with creating a different, a different type of culture, different type of world? Yeah, I really, I really think it does. And, and I love speaking to spiritual communities about these kinds of issues around creating a just world around social justice around racial justice, because I think kind of the extreme of looking outside of ourselves for happiness is then now just looking with looking within right and recognizing our interconnectedness with all beings and then kind of only looking at that and then denying the external reality, right? So there's like this kind of extreme, like there's only the external and that's not going to make us happy. And then we can swim all the way to the other way. There's only the internal, there's only the spiritual. That's all that matters. And I think that that creates a real unhappiness and dissatisfaction in itself. But I think it also disrupts social communities um, or, or people who are in that space. They're, their understanding of this external world that also we, I believe we're embodied so that we can impact that as well. Right. So we're not just the spiritual being, but we're also not just this kind of material, you know, this physical being as well either. Right. So finding that balance. Hmm. And is it possible that as we kind of engage the external world, and maybe directly um, along the lines of, of, of bringing justice, you know, seeing injustice and then taking action to uh, improve things. Is that in itself, can it be seen as a, a part of the spiritual practice, right? And, and, and will that even change the way that, that we engage it so that this is not something separate from my kind of internal spiritual work. I'm, I'm compelled to take action because it feels right for me to do that. Yeah, I absolutely, I think so. I see it as part of a spiritual practice and spiritual work. I mean, when we talk about, you know, I loved what you said about integral yoga and I keep going back to that because when you talked about, you know, even doing the dishes can be yoga, doing the dishes can be yoga, but doing the dishes could also not be yoga, right? <laughs> Right. So, so how do we bring that spirit into what we do, even when it doesn't look like it's spiritual, right? Like doing the dishes might not look spiritual from the outside, but you know what's moving you to wash that dish. You know that you're in this moment with that dish, right? You know you're having an experience of washing a dish without thinking about um, you, you know, certainly you want the dish to be clean. That's why you're washing it, right? But you're not, you're not attached to that. You're not looking to that outcome specifically in that moment. You're with 
the dish, right? And it's a silly example, but I really think that social justice work can be accomplished in that same way, right? We can be on the front lines. We can even be shouting at the front lines, right? But are we also connected to the that which connects all of us, right? And that doesn't mean that because we're connected, it doesn't mean that everything is perfect. And so just don't do anything. I think that's, that's kind of the mistake I was pointing to before. But it's can I bring that understanding into what I'm doing as I'm doing it? And that includes creating a world that is just, right? I was looking for other words, but really, I think just is a beautiful word. I think we pick that word intentionally, um, but moving toward a world that is just taking those actions to create a world that is just from a place of connection and interconnectedness. Mm. And I think also to your point, one that's process, uh, it has a focus on the actual process of it as opposed to outcome oriented, because especially along these lines of bringing, you know, justice, you know, I personally feel, you know, it's never going to end, right? Like we're not trying to get to a place um, where, okay, it's a utopia. We, we cleaned it all up. Everything's great. That's not going to happen, right? It's, it's never ending. So therefore to get, to get clear on that, you know, is that important that I'm engaging this process for this process alone and that's enough. It's not about the outcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe that what we're doing as we engage in social justice efforts, particularly as people who are connected to their spiritual practice, but really anybody, what we're doing is we're setting direction. We're just setting a course, right, for our action rather than trying to get to this destination that I think you're right, we may never get to, right? I certainly don't think we'll get to any kind of utopia in my lifetime. Um, but setting the direction, right? That's more, that, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing is setting the direction. I wanted to ask you about uh, meditation specifically uh, and its role in the quest for social justice. Um, yeah, how do you see meditation practice being related to this movement, this cause? Yeah, I think it's, it's a, a powerful, powerful practice specifically for this cause. So I, I think that um, maybe I'm going to start by talking a little bit about what I think meditation is not. <laughs> mm. um, I, I believe that people often come to meditation and find meditation. I know I myself came to meditation believing that meditation was, if I, if I did it right for long enough, eventually meditation would alleviate all of my pain and suffering. That basically I would just, I would be at peace and be happy. Um, if I meditated long enough or if I meditated right, then I would be happy and at peace. You know, my mind would be quiet um, there would be no thoughts. Uh, there would be just this feeling of overwhelming bliss and joy and that that would never, never end. That, that, that's what meditation would look like if I did it right. And, and I think that's a real mistake. I think that's a real mistake. And I think that that can derail people from their meditation practice and can even keep people from starting to meditate, right? Because they say, oh, I can't quiet my mind. I can't meditate. I'm not even going to try. 
what I see meditation as is an opportunity to experience being these embodied creatures that we are, to see the thoughts that come and go, right? So I think it's very easy for us to just kind of get lost in our thoughts. We don't even recognize them as thoughts. We're just kind of kind of going through life and the thoughts are at the background just kind of controlling us. So meditation is an opportunity to pause. And I'm just using thoughts as an example, but there are physical sensations. There are other sensations as well. Um, but meditation is an opportunity for us to pause and see those things, to see what it means to be in a body, to see what it means to be this person in this body, right? Without getting, identifying with it, without letting it control us. And so that's the gift that meditation brings. It's an opportunity to really see what it means to be alive, and when it comes to the practice of social justice, especially for, for people who have a meditation practice, who, you know, who want to bring meditation to this, meditation is a tremendous gift to be able to notice what's happening as we are at the front lines, right? I, you know, I gave a talk on responding to racism uh, from a spiritual perspective, and I talked, and a lot of my talk was geared toward white people who maybe hadn't been active in anti-racist movements. And I said, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna maybe step up and step in and if you choose to do so, you're gonna make mistakes, right? That was a big, a big point that I really wanted to leave folks with is that they were gonna make mistakes and that those mistakes were gonna be very uncomfortable and sometimes maybe very, very painful. And meditation would allow someone to see that and not let that control them. Because if they let that discomfort or that pain control them, they're very likely going to stop acting. They're like, I don't like this. This is terrible. I, I don't want to do this anymore. This is just no fun for me, right? Or whatever the thought process might be. Um, but with meditation, they can say, they can say all that. They can say, I don't like this. This is terrible. And then they can say, oh, look at that thought. Look at these feelings. Ugh, I don't like this. Oh, look, I don't like this, right? <laughs> There's like an analysis and an observation that can occur that can then allow them to, from a place of, rather than reacting, but from a place of wise response, decide what their next action is going to be. Are they going to keep going, right? So... That's I meditation. Yes. <laughs> I, I think what you're, what you're really talking about here is yoga to me in a very big way. Like this is, is yoga in a way I would, I would translate it um, to saying that, you know, the process of not taking myself so seriously. <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's just, yes. it's just being able to observe. And, you know, I kind of wonder at this sometimes, like how we, we ended up being so attached to who we are, you know, how we're seen um, as opposed to I'm just this human being having this experience. Okay. And let me try to understand it. Let me understand, you know, my tendencies, my conditioning, what's happening and let me share it with other people and, and not be afraid to do it as opposed to, you know, feeling like I'm going to be judged, you know, in this, this process of, of, of choosing, I like this person, I don't like that person. And it feels like such a, a way of life to just be doing that 
all the time and it totally exhausted me, which I think is one of the things that, that directed me towards, towards yoga. Um, I just didn't want to do that anymore. Um, and it, it makes me think too, of just like open spaces for being able to have discussions and how important, you know, that is for people, you know, even, you know, as an example to say, um, you know, oh, when I was, when I was younger, you know, I wanted to go out with, you know, uh, this person that's a different color, color than me. And my parents, my family reacted um, really strongly and said, how could you do that? You know, and, and to share that and to see, well, what, what is the effect of that going to be? You know, having gone through that experience where my family or the people I trusted reacted in that way, how is that going to condition me and color my lens to start to see people, you know, in a, in a different way? So I don't know, like, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but I would just love to see the creation of more safe spaces for, for dialogue to happen and, and so that we can unpack our conditioning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would love to see that too. And, and I, I think that for, for so long, there's been um, kind of this like denial about, you know, about our conditioning, right? People, you know, you can, if you were to call someone a racist, and not everybody, but a lot of people, if you were to call them a racist, they would get so defensive, they would be unable to hear anything you basically said after that point. And, and I, and I would like those open spaces, because I think that we're all, we're all impacted by this society in which racism pervades everything. I mean, we can't, be untouched by that. If we live in this society, we can't be untouched by that. So I would want people to be able to, rather than get defensive to a statement like that, to say, to be able to say like, hmm, let me think about that. You know, like my impulse is I don't agree with you, but let me think about that, right? Rather than immediately putting up those walls. And and I think that safe, these kinds of safe spaces you're talking about could allow for that, right? Could allow for that a little bit more. And that could also help to kind of shift the burden of who is, who is kind of doing the educating and who is doing the explaining a little bit in, in a way that, that is more easeful for everybody, right? Like, you know, a lot of people of color are, are you know, I've heard from a lot of my friends anecdotally, are being approached by people who are kind of like, wow, I can't believe racism is as bad as, as all this. And they're, you know, you know, oftentimes white people, and then they're approaching their friends of color and saying, you know, talk to me about this. Like I had no idea. And a lot of people of color are like, I, like, I don't want to talk to you about it. Like, you know, maybe there's somewhere else you can educate yourself. Like for me, this has been my lived experience for a lot of years and I'm really tired. <laughs> I'm tired of talking about it. And, it. and it can be even painful to say, like to hear that, like, oh my gosh, this has been like my primary experience of life and you are coming to me and saying you've never even thought about it. You know, that can be challenging, right? So creating these safe spaces in ways that, 
that are safe for everybody, basically, for the people who are in the room and also for the people who are not in the room, you know, safe for them as well. But I, I love the idea of promoting this dialogue because I think that that is what's going to get us to really begin unpacking, like you said, the conditioning we may have received that we don't, we're not even aware of. Hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, I think, an important point, too, to to even be aware of the those that don't want to have the conversations and maybe to, to ask first, you know, that even consent culture, I think is, is such yeah. a big thing. It's like, check in with you. Do, do you want to have this conversation? Do you want it's maybe a little bit uncomfortable, but to just to make sure that someone is okay with whatever we're about to do before we do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also want to ask about the, the, the tendency to, to point the finger because uh, this is another huge lesson that uh, I've, I've learned uh, through yoga. That's maybe been the hardest one for me. Uh, and, you know, Swami Satchidananda, one of my favorite things that he, he says is, you know, when you point the finger, you know, he holds up his hands, you know, and, uh, and he says, you know, three fingers are pointing back at you. You know, and then the, the thumb facing upward is, you know, the witness, the God watching everything happen. But, you know, I really feel deeply and I'm interested in, in your experience, too, that that this is a major trap and a tendency. And I think because it's so easy to spend our time saying, you know, again, it's out there. Someone else is is doing something. They're the problem. Right. And all the time you know, I'm taking my opinion of this is right and that's wrong. And, 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 and to me, this is all a distraction from doing the actual internal work in terms of looking, looking into myself and, and on a very practical level, like that's what I can control. Right. I can't control all these people doing these things, but I, I can control to a certain extent my own tendencies and my own growth. Um, so anything to share about kind of this process of maybe shifting from looking and judging everything externally um, to instead turning inward? Yeah, yeah, I, I love that question. Absolutely. Because, you know, we see the world through our own lens. So what we see is directly impacted by us, <laughs> by ourselves, Right? So I do think it's essential that as we move through the world, we do always look within and recognize that we're seeing everything through this lens, right? And that, you know, to me doesn't mean, kind of again, it doesn't mean, you know, don't look without at all because it's all in here, right? I still hmm. believe that being embodied, we're here in these bodies, I think as an invitation to impact our external world, but to also recognize that we're bringing ourselves to it and that alone impacts what we're experiencing. So I think that there's that balance, right? And, and I think like to me, like that finger is really about, um, a, a lot of it, I see it as like, who's like wrong, it's blame, who's the bad guy here, or the bad person here, right? I don't think, excuse me, I don't think that that is helpful 
right? I don't think that that's helpful, but really more just to mo moving toward a place of peace without this idea, like again, setting, just setting the direction, right? Without the idea that my ways are the right way and your ways are the wrong way, but just being aware of what direction do we wish to set, you know, our lives, the world, ourselves, and, and work toward that. Hmm. One thing you just said, uh, I feel is, is really important. Uh, kind of the byproduct of doing uh, the internal work. And so it, it isn't this, which I think a, a tendency that happens quite often of, of a, a shutting out and ignoring what's happening in the external world. Instead, it's I'm, I'm doing this internal work. You know, maybe I'm, I'm getting clean. I'm growing. I'm learning about myself. And then because of that work, I'm able to then navigate the external world with uh, much more grace, I would say, uh, maturity than I would, uh, you know, elsewise. Um, so I don't know. I just want, I want to emphasize that um, because, you know, that's what I find. Like that's, that's the hope is that, you know, by doing this, it has just a ripple effect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love the, um, the integral yoga analogy that, you know, many of us are taught that our mind is this mirror that is just reflecting that is just we're, we're reflecting the world on our mind and our mind is the mirror. Right. And as we clean that mirror, as we straighten that mirror, as we polish that mirror, we can see the world more clearly, right? And that's, and what you're talking about is really pointing that, pointing that, you know. Yeah, and what I love that. about that too is that it's like, it's getting away from this idea that like phoniness is like a, something that can be successful, right? Like I can pretend and it's gonna, and it's gonna serve me. It's like, no, you, you can pretend, but it's, it's, it's not gonna be effective. You might win, you know, little, little small things that look like it's serving you well, but there's no, you know, easy way around who you are is, is like you said, how clean your mirror is, is going to be projected. And that's just the way it's set up. Um. That's right. That's right. And that phoniness is, again, it's really looking outside. You're looking for the kudos. You're looking for the, the image. You're still looking outside of yourself to find that happiness. So it's never going to work. Mm. Uh, I wanted to, to ask you about, um, our own uh, richness or privileges, we could say. Um, the process of kind of tuning in and saying, wow, I've uh, been given a lot of gifts. I've been given uh, privileges. Um, I am really fortunate in so many ways in my life. But that, that process seems to be really challenging. There seems to be some kind of obstacles um, between me and stepping into that place of actually feeling grateful for my life. What, what do you think those obstacles are? Yeah, I love that, you know, um, and there are a couple, there are kind of a couple things I want to talk about there. Um, when, when, when we, when we talk about privilege, you know, and I've been doing a lot of social justice work recently. So I, you know, like kind of white privilege, like came, came to my mind and, you know, and you're talking about a lot of things, um, but that was something that came up for me. And I thought how, when people are told 
they have white privilege, sometimes they get really defensive. Like they don't, they hear that as some kind of insult, right? Or, at, or attack. And, and really all that's pointing to is this, uh, this level of power and access that they have that maybe people of color don't have. And, and so it came to my mind because what you're talking about also are things that maybe not everyone has, you know, we're, we're privileged to, you know, like you said, just all the riches and abundance and, and so many of our lives, it's, it's hard for us to um, acknowledge it. It's hard for us to um, uh, embrace it. It's hard for us to remember, to be grateful for it. You know, there's so many kind of things that, that get in the way of experiencing that privilege or exercising that privilege. Um, but you're speaking specifically about being grateful for kind of the abundance and riches we have. You know, I think as long as we're focused outside, you know, we'll never have enough, mm. right? We'll never have enough. And so when we're looking outside and we never have enough, it is very hard to be grateful for what we do have to stop and just, and this is another gift of meditation, right? To just pause and really sit in the experience that you're having right now and then and and feel that seat beneath you right and now all of a sudden it's like oh i have a seat beneath me oh i have a seat that's supported by this floor that's in this gorgeous house right like there's so much here and and all that it provides for us um we can experience that with a practice of meditation we can we can see that I'm, I'm come, I'm keep going back to everything we just said. Like, I'm like, you clean the mirror, you see what's true, right? You see what's real. Mm. Mm. Thank you for that. Mm. Mm. On, a, on a personal level, I, I just want to ask you, um, you know, I think you've been pretty active right now uh, for some time in, in the movement, um, social justice, how are you feeling as some time has, has progressed? Um, are you feeling exhausted? Are you feeling a sense of purpose maybe that, that wasn't there previously? Yeah, I definitely am feeling a renewed sense of purpose. It's been extremely powerful time for me personally. Um, and I'm also feeling this, this new kind of hope. Mm. Um, I'm seeing people more, more people, more willing to listen, you know, and I, I'm saying things that I know or that I've experienced being received really, really differently. Like I've said the same thing, you know, <clears throat> six months ago, a year ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, <clears throat> excuse me. And it was received so differently from how it's being received now. And I'm really, I, I'm I'm a little nervous to feel hopeful, but I feel I feel I feel I feel a spark of hope there, um, and so there's you know I'm just I'm just going I'm on my path and I'm feeling like this is the right one for me. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting with with hope. Um, I'm glad that you're feeling hopeful. First of all, I think that's that's wonderful. Um, I can't help but also feel a little, a little concerned at the same time um, because I'll bring up the point of the, the, the status quo, the power of kind of uh, social, social pressure, what is, uh, 
what is kind of hip and in right now, which I think is a really, really strong force, right? Like everyone is saying that, you know, black lives matter right now and be a part of this movement. Um, so therefore I'm going to hop on this train and I'm going to be a part of it too, because I think I'll be accepted socially if I do that. Right. It's like maybe filling this, this real, uh, this place of insecurity that's always there that, uh, I'm filling that place by doing what feels safe. And right now that feels safe. Um, so my concern in a way is like when, when things shift a little bit, like, you know what I mean? Like how, how genuine is it? Or is it just the in thing to do right now? Yeah, that's such a great question. And I, you know, I know that the kind of the news cycle kind of pushes what they want to push and then they, you know, throw it aside and do the next big thing, you know, and I think that that's definitely true with social movements. You know, we've seen it time and time again. And I think you're raising a really great point. You know, a lot of people are just doing what's kind of hip and cool right now. And, you know, wearing the Black Lives Matter t-shirt is like really hip and cool. I bet they're sold out. I don't, I don't know, <laughs> you know, and I, I think that's real. I, I do think that's real. I also know that once you learn something, you can't unlearn it. So I'm hoping like, and so I am doing as much as I can right now. Basically, like I see a window, it's kind of open and I'm trying to just ram myself through it as fast <laughs> as I can. <laughs> right. And so, and then just, and then let go. I, you know, I don't know what's really going to happen, but I'm just excited that this window is open right now. Um, mm. And I think that that's what, that's what's, what's giving me any kind of, you know, that's what my hope is based in. I so appreciate that response. Thank you. Not at that time. Uh, finally, uh, Reverend Kamala, uh, I think is up for leading us in a, in a short practice uh, for a few minutes. Uh, so I think that would be, that would be great. Yeah. Great. I would love to. So just coming to this moment and we'll begin by coming to this physical experience, the body, however it is, wherever it is in this moment, just taking a moment to notice, notice it, notice those areas that are in contact with the surface beneath you. Noticing the air on the skin, it can be helpful to maybe let the eyes close and allow the focus to begin turning more fully to the experience of this body in this moment, noticing the breath as it moves into and out of the nose, throat, lungs, torso. Just beginning to gather the attention to here and now. If it's available or comfortable, you can feel a gentle lengthening of the spine, a gentle inner lift. And also noticing if there's any tension that's within reach, perhaps letting it unwind a little bit. No judgment. 
without labeling, simply noticing. And as you come into this moment, you can mentally scan the length of the body, perhaps from the feet to the head or the head to the feet. Noticing any areas, perhaps areas calling out for your attention, perhaps areas that have not had attention paid to them in a while. Notice what's there. And gently shifting the awareness to the breath, noticing the flow of the breath exactly as it is in this moment, not needing to change or alter it in any way. If it's helpful, you can notice where you feel the breath most distinctly. Maybe it's in the rising and falling of the chest or abdomen or the movement of the air in the nostrils, slightly cooler on the inhale, slightly warmer on the exhale. Or perhaps it's the sound of the breath or something else, whatever it is, letting the attention rest there for a few moments. You as the silent witness of the breath. And now gently shifting the attention to the mind, the thoughts in the mind. See if you can observe the thoughts, their content, their emotional tone, without getting caught up in them, without even believing them. Noticing the thoughts as they move through the mind in the same way you may observe clouds moving through a vast sky, witnessing the thoughts.
And then bringing the awareness to that which is underlying and permeating all, holding all of us, holding all of earth, holding the entire universe, that which connects each one of us to each other and to everything else. Feeling that interconnected wholeness, that interconnected oneness with all. Not as a thought or as words, but as an experience. And with that experience of oneness, with the remembering of that interconnectedness that we all share, gently coming back to the breath, back to the body. Begin gently opening the eyes at your own pace, taking your time. And if you'd like, bringing the palms together in front of the heart. And gently bowing to your own inner wisdom, your inner light. That wisdom, that light that we all share. Thank you.
talk about feeling grateful. (laughs) Privilege to experience that. Thank you so much for leading us. My pleasure. Uh, Before we go, Kamala, would there be anything else that you'd like to to share in terms of how people uh, might be able to get in touch with you? Any programs coming up? Yeah, um, my my website, folks are always welcome to visit me on my website. That's attunedliving.com. And I am hosting a five-day online retreat um, to help people get to this place of, of really self-love and, and understanding of that interconnectedness. And it's um, kind of a rolling process so people can join at any time and it goes for five days. And, um, and I would love to see folks there so they can learn more about that also on my website at attunedliving.com. Attuned Living. That's right. A-T-T-U-N-E-D living. Okay, great. Thank you so much again. Uh, what an awesome day. My pleasure. Hey, so wonderful to be here with you today. Thank you for having me. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.